This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi everyone and thank you for tuning in to the 265th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast presented by Microsoft AI. In addition to THR's weekly Feinberg forecast, we encourage you to check out Awards Predictor, a new feature of THR's website powered by Microsoft AI and generated with Bing Predicts technology, which uses its own formula to project who will take home an Oscar on Hollywood's biggest night. You can learn more about Bing Predicts and vote for your favorite cast and crew by visiting hollywoodreporter.com slash awardspredictor. And now, on with the show. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today I'm joined by an all-star panel of colleagues from The Hollywood Reporter to preview the 91st Academy Awards ceremony, which will, of course, take place on Sunday night. Joining me are Stephen Galloway, our executive editor of Features, Carolyn Giardina, our tech editor and host of our Behind the Screen podcast, Rebecca Keegan, our senior editor for film, and Greg Kilday, our film editor. Thank you guys all for being here, especially after a 222-page issue went off just a few days ago, which I think left a lot of us near death, but we are back. And I guess I want to just begin before we dive into any particular categories, asking you about just the vibe going into this show. Rebecca, one of the things that you had in this issue, this Oscar issue, which is on newsstands now, is kind of a, a look at the fiasco that's preceded this ceremony, which I think puts to shame any prior ones. This was crazy. What were some of the things that set the tone for this year's Oscars? Well, the tone for this year's Oscars was set when the ratings came in for last year's Oscars. And it was the lowest rated show of all time and started this kind of soul searching at the Academy about what can we possibly do to change the show. And they threw out a number of ideas, the popular Oscar, this possibility of eliminating four categories from the main broadcast, ultimately tossed those ideas out as recently as Friday, yeah. the, the four categories. And in that time also cycled through a number of possible hosts only to ultimately decide to go host free. Right. And so is there a sense, and anyone should feel free to jump in with this or, or anything else, is there a sense, you think, at the Academy that they're just, you know, kind of fighting for survival here? Or is this, are they expecting this show to go over well? What's the expectation for this? Well, the expectation within the leadership of the Academy is probably diluted. <laughs> they think they're doing something wonderful here. I think the larger membership is really skeptical because they, they've witnessed everything that Rebecca's just described. It's hard to imagine it's going to be a coherent show. Yeah, I mean, the host is generally there to both do the monologue and occasionally appear, but also jump in in a situation where something is going off the rails like Envelope Gate just a few years ago. But, Stephen, it seems like it's a bit of a shame that this stuff, which was within their control, is overshadowing positive things that they should be celebrating. This is one of the most diverse group of nominees ever. They have box office hits for the first time in a while, numerous among the Best Picture nominees. It seems like a missed opportunity. Yes, I think a lot of people don't realize how much the Academy does that's not the Oscars. Uh, 
they have a great diversity program. They bring in mentees on a very large scale. Uh, in the era of Cheryl Boone Isaacs and, and Dawn Hudson, they made a massive push to bring in the non-traditional, that is, not middle-aged white male members. And you saw the shift in that when Moonlight was named Best Picture. As I've said to you several times, I think this Oscars is going to be a litmus test of who the Academy is made up of. If they go for Green Book or possibly Bohemian Rhapsody, then that more conservative, traditional, studio-dominated member is going to predominate. If they go for uh, Roma, then the more international, independent art house crowd will. I don't think there's any clearer revelation of who is in the Academy now than that. But they've allowed everything they've done well to be overshadowed by a series of self-inflicted wounds. And I'm just agog that so many things could have gone wrong and that they made so many missteps that were based on a sort of political naivete. You don't put out the idea of a popular Oscar without running it past focus groups, members, key vested interests first. Same thing with pulling four categories from the Oscar show. Well, that's where I want to bring in Carolyn because I know, Carolyn, you're dealing with film editors and cinematographers and animators and, you know, just generally the people who were affected by this, the, sh- the live action shorts people as well, were the fourth constituency. They, in a way, united and probably, you know, and made enough noise to get everybody else riled up about this. And ultimately, it was the final kind of insult that the Academy brought upon itself leading up to the show. Is the fact that those categories are, are now going to be presented in the same way as all the others, has that placated those groups of people? Are they happy or or is it just sort of putting this off until the next thing right now? Are there going to be issues after the Oscars too? I think the group, those particular groups are definitely happy that things have changed and that they'll be presented in the same way as the other categories. But I think one of the things that really drove the change was that you know, filmmaking is a collaborative process and we're celebrating filmmaking. And it wasn't just the cinematographers, the editors, the hair and makeup, the live action shorts. It was you know, directors came out and actors and production designers and visual effects supervisors. And I think that it went beyond those four branches yeah. that really, you know, showed that it's a collaborative process. And that was the united message that the filmmakers wanted to send. So the Academy has really got itself into a bind, you know, regarding something Stephen's written about and, and others here where they have to please ABC, which brings in the vast majority of their their revenue every year. But in order to do that, They have to figure out how they're going to be able to work with 24 categories, probably 20 of which most people, maybe 18 generously, people don't care about very much in the general public. But within Hollywood, obviously, we found people care very much about. They're on the hook with ABC till 2028, I think. That's a long-term deal that they fought for because they needed financial security to get through their museum and other things they're facing. But it's going to be interesting with the board that is predominantly comprised of people representing these branches that correspond with the awards that people would like to do something else with. Is there any way out of this? I would say the biggest problem the current leadership of the Academy has, to take the line from Kohan Luke, (laughs) theirs is a failure to communicate. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to sell what they're doing. Now, some of these proposals would have been controversial They might have gotten their way if they had gotten out in front and presented the rationale for them and won people over. But 
then you look at the salesmanship that's going on around the show, and there isn't any. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Golden Globes, as silly as it is, has this phrase, the party of the year, and they drum that in everyone's head when they start running promos on TV. The Academy right now, particularly without a host to front it, has no message going out there. But it's more than a failure to communicate. It's, it's a failure of leadership. I mean, I was imagining, talking to a friend of mine the other day, say, imagine this. Imagine Sherry Lansing came back to the industry and let that group. You cannot conceive of these things happening. Or one of the great industry leaders who has moral authorities as well as that common sense judgment. They also have a structural problem that you have 54 governors with equal rights and not a really vested steering committee that is allowed to make big decisions. So moving forward, I think you're going to see this over and over again. Unless they contract the size of the board. Unless they reorganize the board and actually bring in a president who has that sort of moral authority or political Mm -hmm. skill to say, guess what, we have to do this, guys, and knows how to rally his or her troops. And not has to worry about either being reelected or termed out after one year every time. That seems like part of the problem. You you have no time to develop an idea, right, Rebecca? I mean, like, John Bailey's out of there in a few months. Right. I mean, when I think about somebody like Sherry Lansing, one thing she never had to grapple with was leading in a social media era. Um, It is very hard to control the narrative in any large organization right now, certainly one as sprawling as the Academy Board. But their messaging is complicated because they're attempting to put out this populist event that will attract a big broadcast audience. But they're comprised of people in this very niche industry. And I think it's a real challenge not only for leadership, but just sort of figuring out who they are going forward and who their audience is for the telecast and for the other things that they do. Yeah, I think it's absolutely we're at a turning point in the history of visual media generally because, you know, we've talked internally here about the possibility what what happens when, again, coming back to Roma and other recent examples, you can no longer really distinguish a clear line between film and TV. I was at an event on, I guess it was Sunday night. I ended up at a table with Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who was the former president of the Film Academy, and Hamel Washington, the former chair of the TV Academy. And I said, do you guys imagine a world in the near future where you, where these two organizations might have to merge because that line is so thin? And they actually said they do. So to have, I, I don't think that's something we've all figured out how to deal with yet, but it, it seems like that may be where we're headed. They but, should have said, we should have merged yesterday. Yeah, it might have helped both well, of them. Other, the other point that Rebecca brings up is social media. Yeah. You know, interestingly, you know, so-called film Twitter, maybe it's two dozen voices who are on Twitter who are reacting loudly to right. everything the Academy does. Right. But they set the tone that then the more general media, who's not playing as close attention, picks up on. And through all these controversies, the lack of hosts, the category controversy, the Academy was deadly silent. So they're letting outsiders kind of run them ragged. Right. And they don't even have, I mean, their own Twitter account is is just a manufactured PR. But they don't have any voices of their own kind of stating their case in any kind of authoritative way. Right. We keep hearing with everything, whether it's the popular Oscar or removing the categories from the show, that the board has overwhelmingly or unanimously supported this. And there are prominent people on this board, Laura Dern, Whoopi Goldberg, on and on. And yet you don't then see them 
sort of take their, this was the criticism of Obama too, when, whether it was Obamacare or whatever. You have great ideas or potentially great ideas, but you don't know how to message it, so it doesn't matter. Well, and one interesting thing that came out in Carolyn's reporting was that the board had successfully made the case to some of the members of these branches that were going to be left out of the telecast or minimized in the telecast by showing them a video that people told Carolyn they found tasteful and respectful. So interestingly, they were able to message in this small group, but did it not occur to them to share that video yeah. <laughs> on their Twitter feed so that everybody who was wringing their hands in the outside world could say, oh, well, that is respectful. If that means the telecast is able to get done in three hours, maybe that's okay. Right. I mean, why wouldn't they have used that same strategy? To be frank, I find tastefulness the very problem of the Oscars. Well, fair, fair <laughs> point, know? yes. But what part have you been to that is so tasteful that you want to go back the following year? <laughs> right. You know, vulgarity is crucial to these things. <laughs> and, and surprise. They have to decide, going back to what you are saying, Rebecca, what's their identity? Who are their members? Right. You know, the HFPA doesn't have much of a reputation to maintain, so <laughs> they can have Ricky Gervais throwing back the beer. Right. The Academy is so terrified of one little slip that it's like going to a funeral, not having fun. Right. Well, Carolyn, I, I guess one of the most surprising aspects of this was that there was, I think the overwhelming perception was that these four categories, these four awards, were being kicked off the show, basically. And in fact supposedly what they were all only going to do was clip the walks to the stage and off the stage. And if you were in the audience, you wouldn't have even necessarily known that it was during a commercial. They were going to just keep rolling, but it wouldn't be on the air. And it was, in theory, going to be relatively seamless. And nobody's speech was going to be cut short unless they went over 90 seconds like any other category. The winners and the nominees would have been announced. So it actually wouldn't have been that noticeable a change. I also don't know how much time it would have saved them anyway. But they never made that clear to people, and the perception, I think, including among the people who would have been affected, those branches, was that they were actually getting the boot. Right. Well, the members that I spoke with in advance of the announcement about the change described the video that they were shown within their branches as respectful. They said that they effectively had cut out the walk to the stage and that you know the spirit of the speech was going to be kept if someone rattled off three dozen names, obviously that was going to be cut, but that was the way it was described to them and that's the way it was shown to them in this video. And none of them, at least publicly, were going to say anything particularly negative about it at all. When the announcement was made on Monday, then, you know, as, as you know, Greg and Rebecca and Stephen pointed out, then social media took over. And the Academy just didn't push back. We don't know much about the show because as we've established in this conversation, they haven't really put all that much out there. We've seen what the stage is going to look like, and we've heard the names of some of the presenters. But, you know, one thing that sounds new and interesting, I don't know if it's going to work out great, but they are going to have people from outside the world of film, outside the world of Hollywood, introduce each of the eight Best Picture nominees. We're seeing these names are going to range from the chef, Jose Andres, to the tennis player, Serena Williams. Luckily, they've restored the four categories because if they hadn't, then people would have treaded this thing for being an unnecessary use of time that shouldn't have displaced the other categories. But what do we think about this idea? I mean, Rebecca, is this going to play with the general public? Look, always having someone appealing like Serena Williams on your show is is a smart move. It gets people to tune in. But 
as Steven said, the show's at its best when it's spontaneous and a little weird. And I would imagine that these people are having something written for them, which they will read from a teleprompter. It is unlikely to be spontaneous or reactive in any way to the energy in the room. It's likely to be very scripted. So no matter how much I love Serena Williams, do I want to see yet another person reading off a teleprompter? I'm with you. When you watch that show, you know there are going to be eight movies introduced and a clip, and we all know what they are. And if you don't, you're not going to watch the telecom. The only way to do this is, you know, to have Pope Francis introducing eighth grade, you know, or, or, or well, Donald Trump, you know, introducing the, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. I mean, then you're kind of curious to know. Otherwise, I want to watch Serena playing tennis. Well, the, the risk here is the flip side of diversity, and the Academy has made laudable efforts at diversifying its membership, and that's reflected in the nominations. But the flip side of that is wokeness. Mm -hmm. And the current Academy leadership is very concerned about doing the right thing. And I think we're going to see some of that in these presentations. So you mean that tripping over oneself to, to show almost to the point of overdoing it, that they're with it? With it, they're hitting every minority and every different constituency, and they're they're doing it in in the most politically correct terms. I mean, as Stephen said, I mean it would be fun to, you know, have someone come out and say, "I wasn't a big you know Queen fan, but I was won over by Bohemian right. Rhapsody." Well, no, we're going to hear Bohemian Rhapsody presented a gay man in positive circumstances. Right. And, and you know, you won't have the host that can inject some of that uh, biting That's stuff. a reverence. Yeah. yeah. Jagger up there saying, you know, I hated Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I never even liked Freddie Mercury. I know how to perform on stage. That I would tune in for. It's interesting because if the show is that overwhelmingly just gushing positive stuff, it's not reflective of the season that preceded it. Because I have to say, and I, I, I don't, think any of you will disagree. This has felt like one of the most mean-spirited, angry award seasons leading up to the Oscars that I've ever witnessed or been aware of. There have been factions that are just going after each other, whether it's movies that on the surface look relatively harmless and, you know, a lot of people do like, whether it's Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever, getting shredded by, by film Twitter. Then you've got people that are that hate Roma because of the Netflix threat that it poses to in some people's eyes, and on and on and on. So what I guess I'd like to do is start with the best picture category, if we can, and just break down the various considerations, keeping in mind that this is the category where voters, in which every person with a vote gets to weigh in and is asked to do so by ranking their films. So it's not like whoever gets the most votes wins because they're trying to find a movie that everybody at least likes. So it conceivably means that if something doesn't win with a massive majority after one round, they're going to start looking at what people had at number two and, and onwards. So the nominees for Best Picture are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Who wants to just weigh in first here? Again, we're not looking for predictions as much as just breaking it down, some of the considerations here. Well, there's always been that strategy that you have to be liked and therefore in the number two, number three positions to mm -hmm. really get through. And on the preferential voting system, you need to survive long enough. So you don't want only 100 people to love you so much that they would actually murder your right. rivals. Right. You know, I mean, that's nice. The tree of and life I people. I approve of that. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it, it doesn't help you. Right. You have to get in the last two or three. That means people have to like you as well as love mm -hmm. you. That said, every year when there's some great, you know, grand 
overarching theory about how American Hustle is going to win because the other two will knock right, each other out. Right. Well, it doesn't seem to be that way, although we never actually see the balance. Could have been with Moonlight, though. I mean, everybody in the world thought that, I guess, La La Land was divisive. There were people that loved it very much, and there were people that, you know, had no time for it, especially as it did not in any way reflect the zeitgeist. Singing and dancing as Donald Trump is sworn in was not how Hollywood was feeling at the moment. So this year, I wonder, Rebecca, do you think, you know, we're, everybody's talking about it as if Roma and Green Book are fighting this out for best picture, but they are probably the certainly two of the most divisive in the sense that there are a lot of people that love them, a lot of people that hate them. Would the preferential ballot work against them yeah it's an interesting question i mean those are movies that people have strong feelings about i don't i don't feel like people hate roma i feel like there are some people who are threatened by this sort of existential idea of netflix Mm -hmm. i do think those people are largely concentrated in the executive branch much of the rest of the academy is already in business in netflix and across the branches so i i don't think that will be as much to overcome with green book it does seem like It has these passionate fans, and it also has really passionate haters. And I do think that that is problematic on the the preferential ballot Mm -hmm. for Green Book. I wonder what Black Panther will do. I mean, I know it's still outside, but I'm curious what you guys think about that movie in terms of its chances. I I think as we all try to kind of game out what's going to happen, part of the problem is— no one can agree on what the second and third choices right, are. Because, right. <laughs> I mean, there, there actually was a, a few weeks where people were saying, well, Greenberg's going to be the number two because it's a kind of old-fashioned movie. It's, it's kind of feel-good, despite the fact that it was getting some criticism. You know, I could see Black Panther being two or three in that people really like it. They recognize its importance. But there's a part of them that's going to say, but it's not important enough to be my first choice. But I'll make it two or three. Mm-hmm. But again, we're kind of guessing at this point. Yeah, I mean, point. we should note Green Book is the only movie that has previously won when a preferential ballot was in play. The PGA, which is a similar size as the Academy, uses a preferential ballot. Green Book won there. But, Carolyn, one thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that Green Book does not have much below the line to crow about. I mean, I think most of its support, you've got Vigo and Mahershala as actors, you've got the screenplay, you've got picture, and then... Film editing and not much else below the line. Film editing is the main below the line. Yeah, which has been a bellwether in some years. But, I mean, how is the below the line community breaking as far as you can see for for these? Well, I mean, I think people generally liked the movie, but it's not the one that I'm hearing as the top choice. And as you point out, as far as the communities, it, it did get nominated for the Eddie. It didn't win. So we don't have any of those precursors right. that we have had in past so years. So what are they excited about? It seems like Bohemian Rhapsody, oddly enough, is the one that's showing up everywhere with them. Although A Star is Born is the one that literally has every major Guild nomination except visual effects, which it would never have been really in the running for. You know, as you talk to people that are working in the crafts and tech branches, do you feel that it's just that the love for A Bohemian Rhapsody or A Star is Born is limited to those specific areas or that they actually maybe are responding more to those movies than the actors and and people that are quote-unquote above the line. There's definitely a lot of love for Bohemian Rhapsody, that you, you really do hear the enthusiasm and for the work of films like Star is Born. To be honest, I don't often hear the same level of enthusiasm about Roma from some of those groups as I think from some of the above the line community. But in the grand scheme of things, these are smaller branches, so yeah. I, I don't know what impact that's going it's to have. But that surprises me because in the case of Roma, 
in the reviews all pointed out how key sound was in it. Certainly, cinematography, it has a great look. Right, and it did get nominated. Yeah. Yep. Do you think crafts people are as up in arms about the theatrical issues that that Netflix poses as, say, the executive branch? I mean, if you're a cinematographer or a sound person, are you saying, wait a minute, I'm making these movies for the big screen experience and Roma threatens that? I I think they're looking at the work. Yeah. I I don't think they're looking at the distribution. Very interesting. But here's where I think Roma has a problem. Yeah. If you saw it in theaters, it was an impressive movie. And even though it begins very slowly, you were kind of trapped in a theater, so you adjusted to its rhythms. I mean, I've heard from people who've tried to watch it at home on Netflix and have turned it off after 20 minutes because they say, well, nothing was happening. Right. I mean, literally the opening sequence lots a lot of people where you've got the water back and forth for five minutes. And I love the movie. It's my personal favorite of the year, but I totally understand that. I've had to take people's phones away from them to make them watch it fully with their full attention at home. But what's actually been interesting to me to think about in these last few weeks where there where ballots are out and people are it's crunch time is black Klansman is the only one of these eight that truly directly speaks to the moment and for people in hollywood who i think it's fair to say overwhelmingly are not fans of donald trump it is the one place in the best picture category i think where you can really give a middle finger to trump and the best picture winner we know often speaks to the zeitgeist, speaks to the moment. This movie ends with Charlottesville. People go out riled up and angry and sort of mobilized by this. And I just wonder if that's going to come into play here. I know that, and I think Spike Lee has campaigned more effectively and aggressively than anybody expected. And I've heard it showing up pretty high on a lot of ballots. He made a very shrewd strategic decision, which, of course, wasn't aimed at the Oscars. It was to put the real-life Charlottesville incident at the end of the film. And by the way, the way he edited that footage was spectacular. And he fought with the producer and a lot of other people who said, this is kind of heavy-handed, which was my own take on it. But it sent a message that this is relevant because actually racism is not just of today. It's been around for centuries. So he could have made that film 20 years ago. But that said, it's off today. Given that, as we know, Spike is not the most popular person in Hollywood, I would think he has a great chance, weirdly, even in spite of that, more than the movie itself. Well, yeah, and, and, that- and one of the reasons is I haven't heard the praise for many aspects of that beyond its relevance, beyond that it was funny and dramatic. But you don't hear people talking about the editing, the sound, all these other elements. I spoke to a friend of mine the other day who's a producer whose tastes are very commercial. Mm-hmm. And I said, who are you going to vote for? And he shot me by saying Roma. Mm-hmm. I said, I thought you were kind of bored by it. And he said, but all these other elements were great mm-hmm. and it was relevant. They can break it down. Yeah. So I think that will be a fact with Black Klansman. Well, let's, let's move over to Best Director because sort of everything thus far has gone to Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. He won five years ago for Gravity, though, and he's up against four other people who have never won a Best Director Oscar Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Paul Palakowski for Cold War, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, and Adam McKay for Vice. You know, the thing is, the picture and director categories last few years, except last year, have been splitting. It seems like people generally give director to the one who had the hardest technical challenge. That seems to be the way it's been working. And then picture to the one they love. Well, they're splitting because, as you say, a different voting process. Right. But if that that were to happen— different victory. So— is Black Klansman likelier to pull a surprise in picture or director? 
picture, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, although setting aside that argument that you just made, the Academy loves to redress a past wrong, Mm. which it would be doing with Spike Lee. And I think director's really interesting because are they going to reward Cuaron for also having been the cinematographer on his own film? I mean, it's so clearly a director's movie. But you can't see Black Klansmen made by anybody but Spike no. Lee. I think it's a really inter- that category in particular is really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I would look for more of an upset. I still think Quaron is going to get director. Yeah. But if I had to put a number two bet, it would be Spike Lee. Right. And I'm not sure how those other categories are going to impact Roma in that there are people who might think, you know, we voted for best picture. We voted for foreign language. We voted for cinematography. Yeah. He's already collecting three Oscars. Maybe I'll give it to somebody else for director. Could happen. Let's turn to visual effects. I'm going to ask Carolyn to handle this one because this is within her wheelhouse very much. We've got Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, Solo, A Star Wars Story. And I guess, Carolyn, one of the interesting things here is that Black Panther won this award at BAFTA. The VES Society went somewhere else with this. None of these are Best Picture nominees, which sometimes helps us to figure out who's likely to win because the reality is I think probably not that many people know how to tell great visual effects from slightly less great visual effects. What do you think is happening here? This is a tough one to predict. Coming out of visual effects events, the common feeling seems to be that Avengers has the edge. It won uh, the Top Visual Effects Society Award, for example. But the last time a superhero movie won an Oscar in visual effects was for 2004's Spider-Man 2. So it doesn't have a great track record. Marvel's never won one, right? Marvel has never won one. If you use that notion that oftentimes if one of them is a Best Picture winner, that's the one that Mm. will do well, then, again, we don't have any of those. But First Man maybe is the closest thing to that. It was a contender. It's considered one of the more serious movies. It was certainly excellent work, as was Avengers. So, you know, that could help First Man. But I I don't think it's clear. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's go to Best Adapted Screenplay. Here the nominees are The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. The big surprise here was a few days ago when at the WGA Awards, Can You Ever Forgive Me beat Black Klansman, Beale Street, and A Star Is Born, among others. But it's hard to imagine that repeating with a group broader than just writers based on the popularity of these movies. Here's the place where it looks like Spike is likeliest to win an Oscar, right, Greg? Yeah, I, I think so, even though he's only one of four writers on this movie. But particularly if someone's filling out a, a ballot and they know they're not going to give him director, often screenplay or adapted screenplay goes to a, a kind of runner-up uh, yeah. who's also often in, in the directing competition. Absolutely. It always bothers me that there is an adapted screenplay, and yet hardly anybody has looked at the material it's adapted from. For instance... Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is a film I liked enormously. I loved when I read the original book and found that the Richard E. Grant character only appears for four pages, and even that's 100 pages into the book. And they turn this sliver of a character into what the movie was about. Same with Terms of Endearment with Jack Nicholson years ago. And that should factor into what makes the best adapted screenplay, but doesn't. Yeah. People are really looking at the film and the story they right. like the best. No, that's a yeah, good point. It's a, that is a very inventive screenplay, and it's also a chance for the Academy to acknowledge Nicole Holof Center. There yeah. are not any female filmmakers in the director's race. 
she worked on the screenplay. She didn't direct this movie, but that is a place where you could acknowledge someone like that. Absolutely. I want to turn to the one that is giving me the most heartburn, which is Best Supporting Actress. And the nominees are Amy Adams for Vice, Marina de Tavera for Roma, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone, and Rachel Vice for The Favorite. So before I turn this over to you guys, I just want to establish a few facts here. Regina King won the Critics' Choice and Golden Globe Awards, which is a certainly a positive for anybody. However, she wasn't nominated even for the SAG or BAFTA Awards. And there are zero journalists, the people who vote for Critics' Choice and Golden Globes, in the Academy. There are a lot of actors and a lot of British people there. And so the fact that she didn't get those nominations has given me a little bit of pause about picking her. She's still the Vegas favorite. But literally in all the years that those award ceremonies have overlapped, one person in any of the acting categories has managed to win the Oscar without having had those either of the two, the SAG or BAFTA nominations. So do we believe that Regina King is going to overcome this, or do we think that somebody else can, maybe maybe Rachel Weisz, who won the BAFTA, that she would prevail? Who are we looking at? Let's start with Stephen. Well, I'm a British person, and I kind of think of myself as an actor, so I would, I'm favoring Regina only because there are a lot of strong performances here, and that's when you look at other factors. And in this case, I'm not saying that I would love an actress of colour to win, which I would, but you're also looking at the body of work. So if I'm torn between actresses that I adore, that's going to play a part. Yep. And it's going to play a part this, that, that Emma Stone has won an Oscar. That may be unfair, but subconsciously that influences And Rachel you. as well, yeah. They've both won before. Amy Adams is... If Glenn Close wins and Amy Adams does not win this year, Amy Adams becomes the new Glenn Close for the most nominations without a win. Just a thought there. Marina de Tavera, nobody even thought was going to get nominated, but this will be a test of how important coattails are if, if she can somehow... Well, more important, it's already a reflection because the fact she got nominated, right. which, let's face it, stunned even Lisa Tabak, and Marina de Tavera, and, <laughs> yes, tells you the depth of love for Roma. Absolutely. All right, moving to makeup and hairstyling, there's only three nominees, Mary Queen of Scots, Border, and Vice, and... Generally, it seems like certainly last year went to Darkest Hour, a couple of years before it went to the Iron Lady. If you can convincingly play a real person who was a famous politician not that long ago, as they've done by turning Christian Bale into Dick Cheney, that would seem to position you well for a win here, right, Greg? I would think so. I mean, there's some wonderful work in Mary Queen of Scots, but, you know, Vice kind of stunned everyone at the degree of transformation that took place there. Absolutely. That feels like the winner to me, too. Yeah. Original song, I think this will probably be the one that we spend the least amount of time on just because, I mean, I'm, I'm going to basically ask this group of people if anyone thinks Shallow from A Star is Born has even 1% chance of not winning. I won't take that. You won't take <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so at least, you know, the Lady Gaga will get her Oscar. Bradley Cooper will perform it with her. And I guess he's not one of the nominated songwriters, but he will perform the song with her on the show I wonder if it would have made a difference if Lady Gaga didn't have a song that was nominated, if it might have boosted her chances of, of challenging Glenn Close a little bit more. But we'll get to that category in a minute. But So I think we're all in agreement. It looks like Shallow's going to do well there. Carolyn, let's talk about best cinematography. Cold War, The Favorite, Never Look Away, Roma, and A Star is Born. To have three of the five be non-English language movies, two of them black and white, What what are we looking at here? Well, in six of the last 10 years, the winner of the American Society of Cinematographers went on to win the Oscar. I do not think that's going to happen this year. Because they went for Cold uh, War? This year they went for Cold War, which wasn't 
I didn't think was a surprise, but beyond the cinematography branch, there's so much momentum for Roma, which won the BAFTA and a lot of other precursors. So it certainly feels like that's the direction it's going to go yeah. in for the and Oscars. Yeah, kind of amazingly would be the first person to have won cinematography for a movie. For he, a also movie directed, that he also directed. That's and right. only the second time in like 50 years since they combined the black and white and color cinematography categories into one that a black and white film would have won. That that worries me a little bit because I wonder if there really is with certain parts of the Academy and avert, just an aversion to a black and white movie. And I have heard from a number of people who are voting for the favorite because they have a very distinctive, you know, that fisheye, fishbowl lens thing. Rebecca, is that overanalyzing it? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that the Academy of All Organizations would have difficulty with black and white right. film. They were right. they were founded on black and white film. It's in their DNA. I mean, whoever those members are should be taken by the shoulders yeah. and shaken. Shaken, absolutely. I mean, come on. <laughs> they managed to vote for the artist for best picture. That's true. So I think, you know, black and white is not the key They'll get issue. over it. Right. Carolyn, back to you for best film editing. This is another one that I just find very hard to predict this year. We got Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. And the precursors have been all over the map. This is another difficult one to predict. I'm going to give Bohemian Rhapsody the edge. John Ottman did win the Best Edited Dramatic Feature at the Ace Eddie Awards. And in 11 of the last 15 years, that one did go on to win the Oscar. But the BAFTA went to Vice, and then the Eddie for Comedy went to The Favorite. So you're correct. There isn't one consistent film. But John and Bohemian had one wonderful advantage. They were the beneficiary of a massive amount of negative publicity about Brian Singer, right. which revealed to everybody that he hadn't had a minute of editing right. there. And here was this guy, the poor unsung hero, who comes in and turns a movie that even Fox thought was going to flop right. into an $800 million right. gorilla. Right. So he has the emotional story. And mm -hmm. if a backstory helps, given that nobody's seen the original footage right. that you edited, if backstory matters, he'll win. And also, I think generally, you know, this is a category where war movies do well, that we don't have one nominated here. But the concept of the fast cut, flashy, you know, visible editing, I guess you could argue also applies to Vice. But Bohemian with those concert sequences, I think when non-editors think about editing, which, again, are the vast majority of people who are voting for the editing award by the crazy logic of the Academy that only film editors should pick the film editing nominees, but then everyone's suddenly qualified to pick the winner as that goes with all these categories. I agree. I think it's going to be tight, but I, I would think Bohemian has a slight edge. Let's go to a big one, Best Actor, and we may continue talking about Bohemian Rhapsody here, Greg, because the front runner, I think, by most accounts is Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, but he's got to beat Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for Star is Born, Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. A pretty formidable group of actors. It is, but Rami Malek has been winning everything to date. I think there was a moment when people first saw Vice where they said, well, Christian Bale, how can you not give it to him? And then Bohemian Rhapsody came along. And, you know, there was some argument whether that's an impersonation or a performance. But there's a lot to be said for, like, the culminating section of a movie, just as the, the Charlottesville sequence sells Black Klansmen, that concert footage at the end of Bohemian Rhapsody sells that movie. And 
he pulls off what could have been a very embarrassing kind of effort trying to mimic down to individual movements, this major rock star. Totally. And I guess this is also a test of the importance of glad handing because Christian Bale's done virtually nothing. Rami Malek, to paraphrase one of the people who we did a brutally honest ballot with, that voter said he has seen Rami Malek more than his dog over the last four months. (laughs) So I think he's certainly been out there. Bradley Cooper has taken criticism for not really doing much in the way of effectively glad handing. Vigo was sort of benched for a while because of a a faux pas he committed. And Willem Dafoe, I think, is just happy to be there. So I guess Mm -hmm. that's that. Let's go to documentary feature. Let's just say the nominees first. We've got Free Solo, Hale County This Morning, This Evening, Minding the Gap of Fathers and Sons, and RBG. And I guess, Rebecca, in this case, it's going to be interesting to see whether filmmaking challenge is more important than filmmaking subject matter, because I don't think anyone would dispute that Free Solo looks like the hardest to have made, but RBG is also, thanks to its title, maybe in a, in a position to beat it. Yeah, and there's always the issue when you get to this stage of the game is which of these films have the Academy members actually seen? Mm-hmm. Free Solo is one that really benefits from being seen on the big screen. RBG plays great on a screener, or if you watched it on CNN or one of the place, many, many places, Academy members could have had the opportunity to see that. I think that... That helps this movie a lot, as does the sort of general narrative of wanting to be able to feel good about someone in public life in this country in this year. Right. And again, I think the middle finger to Trump comes into play. But it may. We'll we'll see. The interesting thing about that category is the movie that's missing, which is Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yes. Which, when it came out and did great business at the box office, a lot of folks thought, well, this is going to be the front runner for documentary. Totally. Is there a world, as we move on to the best foreign language film category, in which Roma does not win here, even though it is the highest profile nominee in the category this year for sure, but also has had greater campaign support than any foreign language film in the history of the movies? Stephen, you think that can Capernaum, Cold War, Never Look Away, or Shoplifters take it out? It's going to be difficult. I think Cold War is the one with the chance because some people really love it. I actually think this is a very good group of nominees, but I actually think that people are even more likely to vote for Roma for foreign language than for best picture. Yeah, and that may undercut its best picture chances because we're taking care of Roma there, right? Yeah. Supporting actor, the question is, do you give Mahershala Ali a second in three years? He, of course, won for Moonlight. Sam Rockwell won just last year. I don't think anyone's really talking about him as a potential winner. Same, I think Adam Driver, probably just happy to be there. But then you've got two interesting true character actors in true supporting roles, Sam Elliott in A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me. I don't know if anyone has ever navigated the award season with as much goodwill towards him as Richard E. Grant. Right, Greg? Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned to you the other day, if I were an awards consultant, I would make a book out of his Mm -hmm. tweets and his photo opportunities and his his general just enthusiasm and and show it to potential nominees down the line and say, this is how you conduct yourself. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I think at the beginning of the process, Mahershala Ali appeared to have a lock. He is appearing every week on HBO's True Detective and doing a great job there. So that reminds you what a good actor he is. 
But Richard E. Grant has come up in these final laps, and and the question is, timing-wise, I right. don't know which which is the victor. Was it enough? But there is yeah. also an old school feeling of Sam Elliott's been around. He seems like a nice enough guy. <laughs> you know, he managed to make you almost believe that he was distantly related to you know maybe adopted <laughs> brother of you know Bradley Cooper. Right. And if like me, you play that soundtrack on a loop, right. you get to the audio track <laughs> yeah. of Sam Elliott delivering his remarkable lines and you right. remember that his voice is like a national treasure. Yes, yes. I'm rooting for Richard E. Grant because I remember, Scott, when you and I saw that movie in Telluride yeah. and I said to you, this performance no, is brilliant. just magical. I think there is nobody, including Mahershala Ali, who wouldn't be thrilled for Richard E. Grant if it happened, but it would also be only the second time that somebody, in the case of Mahershala, has won all of the major precursors, SAG, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and then lost at the Oscars. I think Except it was. The Oscars always have a surprise in the supporting categories. Often. That's the one area. Of, often, I agree. He'd like where to be Mark most... Rylance. That would be the exactly. great thing to come in and <laughs> exactly take out. I was thinking of yes. with his little hat. <laughs> right. Yes, it's a good night for Mark Rylance. Yes. All right, Carolyn. We're coming back to you for best animated feature, and the nominees are Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It did not go the way we all expected at the beginning of the season when it was just sort of looking at these titles on paper. Disney and Pixar own this category. So what's what's going on now? Spider-Man came out. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody loved it. It was fresh. It was inspiring. It was relevant. I don't know anyone who has a bad thing to say about that film. And basically almost totally ran the tables of the guilds and precursors and it won, it won the most Annies, including Best Animated Feature. It won the BAFTA. It won the Golden Globe. It certainly seems to have the momentum. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you to go first as well with production design, where the nominees are Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. This is a category that often corresponds with costume design, which we'll come to, but not always. And in this case, what are we thinking for production design here, Carolyn? In three of the last five years, the winners of the Art Directors Guild for Period Film went on to win this category. And in this case, that would be the favorite. However, once it went to, in the last five years, it went to the winner of the fantasy winner, which was Black Panther. This year, yeah. (laughs) And then the other three nominees are Mary Poppins Returns, First Man, and Roma. It should be mentioned that Hannah Beekler, who was the production designer on Black Panther, is the first African-American to be nominated right. in that category. It was shocking to me that Rachel Morrison didn't get nominated for cinematography for that film, which was the old white guard coming back in the cinematography category. Well, I don't know. Can, how can you ascribe it to that when she was nominated last year? I swallow my words. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I... Uh... That's why I love you. Humiliate me no. on the radio. <laughs> But I think production design is interesting because part of the issue that I've been hearing from from voters more and more is they don't know what they're looking at. Are we looking at visual effects? Are we looking at something that was done with the camera? What's real and what can you what should you credit to the production designer? So I wonder if that in some ways could undercut Black Panther when otherwise, by the scale of the movie, I would think with the only possible exception of First Man, it's not even, you know, First Man is dwarfed by Black Panther, right, Greg? I mean... Well, Black Panther is, you know, it has wonderful design. And, you know, I think certainly the crafts groups have come around to an understanding that production design, you know, it figures in animated movies, it figures in visual effects. That's right. Um, it, yes. it doesn't mean just building a physical structure anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's all blurring. I was uh, For costume design, to come back to Black Panther as a topic of conversation, they're 
making costumes now, Ruthie Carter, who in this case would be the first black winner of that category, is talking about making costumes with 3D printers. So is that a visual effect? Is that a production design? Is that a costume? It's all blurred. But I guess while we're on this topic, let's go to costume design. Black Panther is joined in the category by The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, The Favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, and Mary Queen of Scots. Rebecca, we've got with The Favorite one of two nominations, The Favorite and Mary Queen of Scots. Two that of the five are from Sandy Powell, who's won three Oscars previously and has had multiple nominations, I think, three times in the same year previously. It's crazy how good she is and how she also kind of does what the Academy responds to. But can Black Panther, with its certainly very different, non-traditional period piece stuff, resonate enough to beat it? Yeah, it's interesting how Sandy Powell has really become our generation's Edith Head. I mean, she is everywhere, and she's remarkably talented. It is also interesting how the Academy is evolving to understand the new way movies are made, not just people in the crafts branches, but actors, too, are starting to understand that these movies like Black Panther are not just people moving zeros and ones around. There are real designers, and in this case, a real costume designer, Ruthie Carter, who created those extraordinary looks. I think Disney has also done a good job of making these people who are largely unknown, like a costume designer, Mm -hmm. known through this award season. They started pushing her and Hannah Beekler out when the movie was in its initial release. They didn't wait for award season to sort of introduce these people. And I guess if you get points for penetrating the culture, it's no question it's Black Panther, where whether it was the premieres or on Halloween, where you've got little kids that are just wanting to look not only like Black Panther, the title character, but also with the headdresses and all the other things that that movie certainly made an impact. Let's go to Best Actress, a big one, where, as we mentioned earlier, I think the the frontrunner has to be Glenn Close for The Wife, but could she be surprised by Olivia Colman for The Favorite, Lady Gaga for Star is Born, both Best Picture nominees, unlike The Wife, or Roma's Yelitsa Aparicio, another Best Picture nominee, or Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Stephen, the BAFTA went to Olivia, but it feels like after a long time, people may be ready for Glenn. What do you think? I'm conflicted here. My gut says Glenn Close, and again, her body of work would make me veer for her, given two equally brilliant performances. Mm-hmm. But I remember the Galloway rule, which we've discussed, <laughs> play ugly, right. play period, play an accent, and let them see you playing. And that means Olivia Coleman wins. Wow, that's a bold a bold choice. And I think it's very possible. And I, I would just, I guess you'd certainly be happy for Olivia Coleman. But what a sad thing that would be for Glenn Close, who's in her 70s. You don't get very many leading roles for women in their 70s. And to have gone through a whole season where finally people are telling her, this is finally your year. I mean, she had one of the greatest quotes ever. She said, because of physical appearance reasons. She said, I've often been mistaken for Meryl Streep, but never on Oscar night. <laughs> <laughs> the funny. irony yeah. is that she's she's nominated for this movie that is about a woman whose genius is unacknowledged. Yes. And so the, to the extent that people actually have had an opportunity to see the movie and think about that, I think that also helps. Yeah. But I think what chance. we all agree is for Yulitsa, Lady Gaga, Melissa, this is not their year. Well, Lady Gaga's fan base will will not like hearing that Stephen. but i guess she's gonna get her oscar for her song and it's her first starring role in a movie she, she's got hopefully many more chances so moving to best original screenplay the favorite first reform green book roma or vice not always a coattail category here sometimes it's a chance to recognize something quirky eccentric or something and or something that 
you know is not going to win Best Picture because this is where you can take care of it. So what are we thinking here, Greg? This is a tough one. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a certain generation in the Academy realizing that Paul Schrader has never been nominated or won and having written movies like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, they're going to want to reward him for first reform, but that's a very small movie. On the other hand, Roma doesn't feel like a, a written movie so much as an observed movie. I think it's between The Favorite and Green Book. Mm -hmm. The Favorite has a lot of good lines in it, but you know, I have this nagging feeling that The Favorite, it's like a movie like The Turning Point. It enters the night with 10 nominations and doesn't win anything, and, and I'm not sure why that's happening. It's going to be interesting uh, if that happens because it does, as you say, have 10 nominations tied for Roma for the most, but I feel like the kind of British humor plays well in that category. But again, the the original issue with that movie that I think many of us suspected was that the Academy remains overwhelmingly male. This is a three female centric movie. Not that men can't appreciate a movie all about women or, or whatever, but I just wonder if at the end of the day, they connect more with the movie about two guys on a car ride. The Lost in Translation was a very female-oriented movie, and it won Best Screenplay. I don't know. For me, again, this is a question of which academy dominates. Is it the traditional mm -hmm. academy that then goes for, for Green Book, or, or the favorite, which owes a lot to Barry Lyndon? Right. Or do they go for something riskier? Right. It would surprise me if Roma were to win, because a lot of it was improvised mm -hmm. in those scenes, as mm -hmm. Alfonso Cuaron has said. It would surprise me if First Reformed were to win, because mm -hmm. It's not the masterwork of Schrader, and a lot of people haven't seen it. Right. His first nomination, period, which is kind of crazy. Guy who wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Rebecca, are you prepared if, if Green Book wins to celebrate Oscar winner Nick Vallelonga? <laughs> <laughs> I think Nick Vallelonga will be prepared yes. to celebrate Nick Vallelonga. Yes. I mean, that will be a really interesting moment akin, I think, to the crash win when people really reacted with strong negativity to a movie winning. I think it would be fascinating to see the reaction just in the room. Right. You know, the person manning the camera for the reaction shots, if Green Book wins, will have some doozies to choose yeah. from. Who do you think is going to win? Well, I do think The Favorite is is a really smart and witty screenplay. And to the extent that people are interested in acknowledging dialogue and kind of inventiveness, that that will have an edge. I'm also, you know, we don't talk, we haven't talked much about to what extent is the company that's pushing the movie mm -hmm. matter. Fox Searchlight runs an incredible ground game. They're not to be underestimated. Right. And The Favorite is their movie. So I would. Yeah. I think I'm with you. In the home stretch here, best original score, we've got an interesting group of guys. So in this case, there's only two of these five that are Best Picture nominees as well, Black Panther, Black Klansman. It's rare for a movie that isn't a Best Picture nominee to win here, and yet the smart money seems to be on if Beale Street could talk. So, Greg, you want to weigh in? Well, yeah, it's puzzling. <laughs> I mean, Nicholas Brittell, who did the movie, is a rising composer, on the other hand, you have Terrence Blanchard, who's done a lot of Spike Lee's movies, and when you hear those horns at the end of that movie, they feel to me like an old-fashioned movie score that's, you know, exhorting you to get up out of your seat. You know, so I, I, I can't say that isn't in the running. I'm not sure which way this one's going to go. Yeah, it's going to be tight. Carolyn, two sound categories. That in itself is objectionable to a lot of people because most members— 
struggle to explain the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. You, of course, know what the differences are very much. But again, the vast majority of people who vote on these awards do not. Will that affect the way they break out? Sound editing nominees, just for the record, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, A Quiet Place, and Roma. Sound mixing, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, and A Star is Born. So the three overlapping that get presented by the sound community, who know what they're talking about, presumably, to the rest of the community, the four that they agree on and overlap on, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, and Roma. I think it's probably safe to assume it will the winner will come from th- that group before in each category, right? Probably. It's always tricky with this category for exactly what you said, which is that I'm still frequently asked what the difference is between those two categories. Let's start with sound mixing. Mm -hmm. First of all, we should point out that there are two categories, sound mixing and editing, but while the BAFTAs combine it into best sound, and in that case, Bohemian Rhapsody won the BAFTA. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, the Cinema Audio Society, which is the Sound Mixing Award, also gave it to Bohemian Rhapsody. And the sound mixing category tends to go to musicals. Mm -hmm. So that would seem to favor Bohemian Rhapsody as well as A Star is Born. People are certainly impressed by both of those films. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the category was very strong this year. But I think if you look at what's already received awards and what a fantastic job they did of recreating that Live Aid concert, that certainly seems like the one to beat in sound mixing. Sound editing is a little more tricky Motion Picture Sound Editors, which was also presented last weekend, spread things around. Bohemian Rhapsody won for dialogue and ADR and for musical. Quiet Place won for effects and foley. Roma won for foreign language film. Mm -hmm. It's sort of not been very helpful there, except that, again, in many years they break those two up for whatever reason. I've never, if they, I don't understand when they can't often, members can't really often tell you the difference between the two. I think they just sort of. All right, we'll give one this cabin, and the other you know, that. You've got to yeah. play loud. That's what's going to win. <laughs> that's what I, I mean, think, Bohemian. That's the reason. hearing's not so great. Yeah, you right. know, <laughs> I put myself in that category. Roma, uh-uh. Right. This could certainly be one of the years where they both go to the same film, which would be Bohemian Rhapsody. But I could also see scenarios where they give it to First Man or one of the others. Right. Has anyone at this table seen the shorts nominees? I'm working my way through them as we speak, right. but I have not seen them all yet. No, that's fine. And I did, but I also am very skeptical that very many Academy members did. So we're potentially looking at a, a small pool of people voting on these last three awards that we're going to talk about. And I just want to, for that reason, briefly give a bit of an overview. And Greg, jump in if you have disagreements or anything else to say. Animated short, the interesting thing. And Carolyn, of course, you you write about animation. So here we have one movie from... Pixar, basically, with Bao, which played before Incredibles 2. And it is actually up against another movie with a Pixar connection, which is called Weekends, which was made within a program at Pixar to kind of give grants to people who want to make movies of their own. And they're both very good, as are the other nominees. Animal Behavior, sort of about a shrink with various animals. They're all animals in his therapy group, Late Afternoon, and One Small Step. I would think, though, that the built-in audience for Bao and the built-in voting block for Disney and Pixar, every time they win one of these awards or animated feature as well, their people get invited, and it just becomes this often a a self-fulfilling prophecy. Greg, you think that is what we're looking at? Possibly, but 
uh, and I think Caroline might agree with me, I don't think Bao is Pixar's strongest short. I don't think it was their strongest, but it's certainly been the most seen. Mm-hmm. But it also depends on who votes for it, because you can also point to some of the others. Late Afternoon was created by Cartoon Saloon, which is the studio that made Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and The Breadwinner though it's never won an Oscar yet. Weekends really isn't a Pixar movie, but Trevor Jimenez, the director who works at Pixar, certainly has had some... Right. Continuing along in these last two shorts categories, the ones that make or break your Oscar pool ballot, let's go to documentary short, Black Sheep, Endgame, Lifeboat, A Night at the Garden, and Period, End of Sentence. I will say that if you're looking for a reason to tip the scales into wanting to slit your wrists. This is a group of five movies that will certainly do that. You've got one about hospice care. You've got one about refugees drowning, trying to escape in the Mediterranean. You've got a thing about a young black man in England being so abused for his skin color that he joins the racists, essentially. You've got a movie about an 80-year-old rally at Madison Square Garden of Nazis, which is very reminiscent of things that have happened more recently. And then the one that's slightly uplifting and inspirational is period end of sentence. And that is about kids in LA trying to help kids in India who are facing the stigma of sanitary pads. They don't have access to them. They don't use them. And so now that's trying to be changed by people in LA. The interesting thing here on this one, Greg, if you'd like to comment is that One of the producers, not one of the two who qualified as a nominee at the end of the day, but one of the producers who is also behind the campaign for the film, of course, is none other than Netflix's awards girl, Lisa Tabak. That's true. Although I'd also point out um, Endgame is directed by Rob Epstein Mm -hmm. and Jeffrey Friedman, who are past Oscar winners for documentary features. And Rob was a member of Board of Governors representing the doc branch for a while. So I don't know if that'll come into play at right. all. It could. Right. There would be an exquisite irony if Lisa were to win for Roma and not win for her own. Or vice film. versa. Yes. <laughs> Which one's she rooting for, do you think? Oh, uh, I think she would like Roma. But well, I mean, yeah. let's... When, uh... when you get that $250,000 bonus, you'd be rooting for Roma. <laughs> well, we're, uh, we're just speculating on these figures. But either way, it's a very well done film and, and people are enjoying it a lot. And it is the one that does not leave you wanting to jump out a window. So we'll see if that matters. And then finally, live action short, you've got Detainment, Fav, Marguerite, Mother, and Skin, another just not exactly feel-good group of movies. You're dealing with, one of them's caused quite a bit of controversy because they're recreating uh, kidnapping and murder of a young child. You've got one about another child basically drowning in quicksand. You've got a horror-type film. You've got neo-Nazis. They really are covering the bases here. Has anybody had a chance to check any of these out yet? No, I'm in the position of most Academy members that yeah. I have. Yeah, right. So, so in that case, how, how would you vote? Which one are you voting for? It, if I were honest, I wouldn't vote. <laughs> right, well, I mean, I've read some commentary. I think Marguerite is the one that isn't about right. kind of depressing young men. It, um, that so. is true. It is the only female-centric one, I guess. Although, no, mother too, because they're looking for their missing kid. Marguerite is basically an old woman who is being cared for by a middle-aged lesbian woman and acknowledges that in her youth she would have liked to have Mm. been able to be as sexually free. Maybe that's enough optimism for for people to vote for it. I kind of think that the most cinematically impressive one is Skin, Just and it actually has already been made into a feature that was at Toronto this past fall, now at Berlin. Who knows? But I guess we'll end by asking each of you just the one thing you are 
most hoping to see on Sunday night. Rebecca, what would make this an Oscar night for you that is a positive one? I'm very nervous for Bradley Cooper singing on live television, yeah. and I'm just hoping that he has a great performance and that goes well. He has not had a great award season. It would be nice if he had a great performance. That's very nice. All right. So. I wish they would bring that guy from Pricewaterhouse back out. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Cullinan. Have we ever seen a better moment on television? I've rooted for every soccer team. Right. It has never been that exciting, you know? <laughs> For Brian Cullinan to make his grand return. All right. Maybe Greg? La La Land will win this year. Yeah. That would be really great. <laughs> Greg? I'm curious as to who's going to present Best Picture and if they're going to find anyone of, you know, real authority, glamour, whatever. Those folks are hard to come by these days. Who so. would excite you? Well, you know, we discuss it. I mean, if they got Obama to do it, that would create a stir. I yep. mean, Michelle Obama has presented Best Picture once, but Remotely, that's, yes. that would be a reach if that happened. I think the Black Panther one, that's where you would see the most exciting display of a cast reuniting on stage. I mean, we, we got a preview of that at the SAG, SAG Awards, yeah. and I think that would be a moment. It was a nice moment, absolutely. And it would sort of not put to bed a tough chapter of these last few years, but certainly you know, be a, a, a well-received step in the right direction. But there are others who feel that it's, you know, a comic book movie would also mark the beginning of the end of aspiring for more than comic book movies. But Carolyn, what would do it for you? I think in general, like everyone, I'm curious to see how they're going to handle the reducing the runtime. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone here actually believe it's going to be under three hours? Not even the producer believes it's going to be under three hours. You know, and I mean, the rest of us, we have to get to bed. We're praying it's going to be under three hours. That's right. Well, imagine the East we Coast. We spent six months writing about the Oscars. Right. You know, That's enough already. Enough already. All right. I, I guess we have to work the next day. I think it would be cool to see. I like when they bring back the, the great older stars. I know that people want to just kind of, if you look at the all the presenters that have been announced, I don't think any of them were, aside from Barbara Streisand, were familiar to people pre-1990s. But, I mean, we do still have a few legendary people around, not many, but, you know, it would be nice if they could find a way to incorporate. I mean, my favorite moment in Oscars history was at the 75th when they brought back all the living Oscar winners, but I guess that would probably take too much time and would be cut out. This. Bring back so, all the dead. That would be even more. <laughs> be more <laughs> all right. Thank you guys so much and have fun on Sunday. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us.